Hello, Podcast Nation. You are listening to my autobiography, Tina Lives, written and read by me, Tina. Who am I? Nobody. But when asked the simplest questions in life, like, where are you from? There was never a simple answer. So I decided to jot the answers down in a book about growing up hippie, surviving the South, and getting the hell out, which is why Tina Lives. Episode 7 Sexy, Sultry, Sweet Sixteen In the summer of 1978, a month or two before my 16th birthday, a waitress from Sambo's brought a group of her friends to my house looking for a place to party. I didn't realize they were lesbians until my friend tried to kiss me. It took me by surprise, but I was flattered that a real-life gay girl chose me to make out with. How often does that happen? She was a sweet and steady type of girl, dependable, I could tell. But if I were a lesbian, she wouldn't have been my type. She had a way of fading submissively into the background, and I didn't find that very interesting. There was, on the other hand, a woman named Martha, who was a whole nother story. She stirred some serious intrigue in me, and I watched her all night. She sat on the couch drinking one beer after the other, legs spread wide open, as if to dare anyone potent enough to enter. She looked like a handsome boy, quiet, powerful, and all-consuming, with her dark feathered hair, icy blue eyes, and a slender, mannish body. Without saying much of anything, she seemed to dominate and control the whole room, including me. We would occasionally catch each other's eye, but I didn't dare linger. This woman was far too intense for me, and I could feel the danger. She was a serious lesbian who played for keeps, and I didn't want to send the wrong message. I was just a girl who partied with whomever, whenever, and I was pretty sure I wasn't a lesbian. But it kept happening, eyes meeting eyes, each glance deeper and deeper speaking way beyond our control. I couldn't stop looking at her because she was magnetic and my hormones and sense of adventure were winning the battle. By the end of the party, I was flush with excitement and I just wanted to be with her. I didn't care what that meant. From one breath to the next, reality shifted, and I found myself in the passenger side of her Camaro, 
stalled lengthwise across a dirt road sitting partially in a ditch. Technically, we were in a bit of an accident, but that wasn't important. What was important was the giddy sexual tension that was fogging up the windshields of the silver Camaro. Martha had been driving us down the back roads of Arkansas for what seemed like an eternity. She drove like a dude with a red plastic cup of drink between her parted legs, elbow on the console, leaning seductively towards my side of the car. Her manliness made me feel feminine, and I just wanted her to kiss me. I was crawling out of my skin with desire, and I couldn't believe that this extraordinary woman was about to seduce me. I honestly felt like I had been waiting for this moment my whole entire life. Martha gave me a look so penetrating that I knew I was in for some serious shit, and a warm wave of fear and fate rushed through my body, and then she touched my thigh. It tingled and begged, and all of a sudden I wasn't shy at all. I cupped my hands around her breast and my whole body shuddered. The surge was so overwhelming that I thought I was going to puddle, but instead I tucked neatly into the arms of a woman who smelled intoxicatingly of men's cologne. We brushed gently cheek to cheek and my lips softly and seductively began to kiss her boyish face. All my pent-up passion exploded as her body became hot to the touch. There was no separation between mind and body. Everything was burning and everything was merging. Somehow I knew exactly what to do and I made her moan and writhe as I touched her with a confidence that I had never known before. She, in return, handled me with such skill and sexual prowess that I would never be the same Tina, Chris, or whatever incarnation was radiating itself on that soft black leathered Camaro seat. cop who was shining his flashlight into the car had no idea what he had just stumbled upon. A young girl was both willingly and wantonly being emotionally and sexually devoured by an older woman. A love affair was not blossoming, it was exploding into existence, but the police officer had no time for romance and intrigue. He charged Martha with DWI and took her to jail. Martha was 21 at the time, and since I was a juvenile, I was taken to the police station but not charged. Martha called her girlfriend to come bail her out of jail, and I called Sue B.
When word got around that I was caught kissing a lesbian in a Camaro, I sensed everyone's discomfort immediately. I couldn't believe it at first, and I thought it was just my imagination. I decided to try and ignore it, because the it was too ridiculous to comprehend. The it was hypocrisy. So far in my life, the message that I had received from the hippies was to be open-minded, non-judgmental, and experience life freely and fully. Kissing a hot butch lesbian in the front seat of her Camaro was exactly that, an open-minded, non-judgmental experience of life freely and fully. None of the grown-ups said anything in particular, but I felt their shock and concern and had to endure their squinting eyes of questioning. It was unnerving the way they looked at me, baffled and perplexed. Everyone seemed to have the same silent question on his or her lips. Good heavens, is Chris a lesbian? I didn't know, but did it matter? Their discomfort was so palpable that I dared not mention my adventures to Lil and Gary. As it turned out, that wily Martha had a girlfriend who was obviously keeping her away from me because I did not see Martha for a few weeks after our explosive evening in a ditch. And although I did pine for her, I was happy to step back from the situation because it had created so much consternation in my life and I needed time to think. Nineteen seventy-eight dropouts. Lil Gary and I gave the ninth grade a try, but it didn't last long. The only way we could handle the Pulaski Heights Middle School was to be truly baked. So every morning we'd get stoned on a hill in the woods behind the schoolyard until the second week of school when we got caught. We were to the point of being totally wasted when our porky principal in his blue suit and slippery shoes pushed awkwardly up the hill and through the thicket to find us. We got quiet and tried to go invisible, which was ironic since none of us gave a shit about school. But getting caught is always getting caught. It's a bitch, especially when you're smoking pot. We were too stoned to run, so we just sat there and waited. The principal seemed more pissed off about his early morning constitutional than the fact that we were sitting up there breaking the law. Between the huffs and puffs of him trying to catch his breath, he officially expelled us for two weeks. It was a laughable punishment because we took it as an invitation, almost a dare, to drop out of school, which we did, and we never went back. The timing couldn't have been worse. Sambo's closed unexpectedly due to a lawsuit over the name, which was perceived as racist. 
I did not have an opinion on the subject because I had never heard the story of Little Black Sambo. I was under the impression that the restaurant closed because of things like me, a miner working the graveyard shift. Recently, several stiffly grim and official people had been inspecting the restaurant and various rumors were running rampant. I was indeed one of those rumors, but in actuality, America had a new sheriff in town, political correctness, and thanks to that, I was now out of a job. Even though I had an inheritance that came with a monthly allowance, I needed to work. I was supporting the illicit habits of all my friends, and we were burning through that money pretty quickly. Glenn saved the day by putting me to work on his painting crew and hiring me to clean his house, both of which I could do stoned. Martha started showing up very coy-like in a manipulating manner, but she still had a girlfriend, so we hung out under the guise of partying. We'd cruise for hours, getting drunk and then making out in her Camaro. Our nights would end with her consumed by a drunken paranoia, which was annoying but did not overshadow her mystique. With a sloppy, thick-coated tongue and droopy eyes, she would interrogate me with questions about the boys I knew. Her inquiry was sly and suspicious and conveyed a strange hurt, which being so naive, I thought was sweet. I didn't want to hurt her feelings, but she had a girlfriend. And what did me having other friends have to do with anything? Besides that, Martha and I were just messing around. Nothing serious, I thought. Until the days turned into weeks, and without noticing it, we had partied ourselves into a relationship. We were together so often that the time had come for me to tell Lil and Gary about her. I was neither brave nor courageous when I introduced Martha to Lil and Gary as Mark. She looked so much like a boy that we actually pulled it off for at least a month. When Gary found out the truth, he was pissed, and in the tone of an outraged father, he said to me, Chris, you really don't want to be a queer. And I said, I'm not. I just like her. He lowered his head, shaking it a bit, and replied, Well, if that's really what you want to do. Lil didn't seem to care, but not in a supportive way. She didn't say a word, and that said everything.
all the way to Jacksonville. Martha and I had never gone all the way until the night she took me to Jacksonville, Arkansas, where she lived with her parents. The house was pitch black and quiet with the sound of sleeping people. And so late that even the cicadas had shut up. Martha held my hand as she guided me into the family den where she built a fire in the fireplace and laid out some blankets on the floor. I didn't know what was going to happen that night, but I never suspected anything sexy would take place in the family den. Boy, was I wrong. After a sweet and warm cuddle lit by the romantic and glowing fire, Martha slowly pulled off our clothing, one piece at a time. I had never seen her naked body before, and her large mound of black bush and the cup-sized breast with hard and protruding nipples titillated me. I was too excited to be nervous, even though I felt overly exposed with chills and goosebumps. I waited for what I thought was going to happen, that her parents would walk in on us at any minute. And because of that, a little voice in the back of my head said, this woman is crazy. But then she started kissing me. Her kisses traveled up and down my body and she did things with her fingers that my imagination would have never suspected. One, two, three fingers, and then I began to go limp and taunt all at the same time. We kissed intensely, and then she laid her naked body on top of mine, grasping tightly my unsuspecting buttocks as she pumped deeply with the ferocity of a sex-crazed lady. The smell of our sex enveloped the room so potently that I lost all concept of reality. And then she went down on me. My vagina cried out with a begging and a demand that I had never experienced before. Martha made it throb, pulsate, and come to life like no boy could ever dream of. I exploded, shivered, and collapsed into one orgasm after the other. And then I cried. When I woke up the next morning, I was dealt the task of having to meet Martha's very straight parents. Her mother was a banker, and her father worked for the Army Corps of Engineers. I could still smell the scent of what had transpired the night before, so I was completely embarrassed and self-conscious. But Martha acted like it was just another day in Jacksonville. Martha's girlfriend, or dare I say ex, was insistent upon meeting me. She needed a glimpse of the girl who had stolen her life away. It was pretty weird, but if that's what she wanted, then okay. I didn't care, as long as she didn't hit me. The woman was older than Martha, which meant much older than me. She didn't say much, and neither did I. I just stood there acting like a trophy horse without compassion. 
I was way too young and self-involved to care about this woman or how I was changing her life. I knew what I wanted, and that was all that mattered. And in my opinion, Martha and I belonged together forever. And my fate had trumped her history.